Welcome to the AI Asia Pacific Institute podcast. The rise of AI presents important legal and ethical challenges for society. In this podcast, we invite leaders from different industries and creators of new AI to debate the big questions. This is the AI Asia Pacific Institute podcast. During our last two episodes, we have been looking closely at India and Australia in order to identify convergence for greater international collaboration to advance trustworthy AI in the Asia Pacific. In today's podcast, we continue this exciting conversation looking into Singapore. As we have explored during our first episode, the nation has been excelling in leading the way in the region when it comes to trustworthy AI. And so to continue this conversation today, we have with us Lee Won Si. She's the Director of Artificial Intelligence and Data Innovation at Infocom Media Development Authority. That's the IMDA here in Singapore. Won Si has been one of the key people working on building trustworthy AI and a trusted data ecosystem in Singapore. Like our previous podcasts, we'll end with a few personal reflections and potential areas of collaborations. We take a moment again to thank Nanyang Technological University and Bonn University for supporting this work. I'm Kelly Forbes, Executive Director of the Institute. Welcome to the podcast, Wansi. Thanks, Kelly. Very happy to be here. And thanks for having me here. Excellent. So I want to preface our conversation with a brief discussion regarding the current AI landscape in Singapore. So. We know Singapore has a robust and comprehensive AI framework. There are also certain pre-existing data laws that inform the current landscape, such as Trusted Data Sharing Framework and the Personal Data Protection Act, which governs and regulates the collection and, and sharing of data. Finally, there's also the National AI Strategy, which outlines Singapore's practical AI agenda. And in terms of best practices, of course, Singapore reaches out to industries by identifying target sectors for implementation. And this very much allows for the production of effective guidelines that are specific to each sector rather than a single set of guidelines that attempts to account for all sectors. We have seen this approach, for example, in the financial sector with the initiative called Veritas. And you know, I believe that this process encourages trustworthy AI because it ensures that each sector is not bogged down by guidelines that might not apply to them. And it correctly addresses the challenge that AI's impact can be very different from sector to sector. Wensi, can you please speak to this approach and do you envisage this to be a long-term strategy in Singapore? Um, yeah, um... Well, when we think, when we thought about this, how we want to tackle the um, providing guidelines for AI governance, we started with the model AI governance framework, which you um, sort of alluded to just now. Um, that provides a horizontal uh, thinking around um, what are the principles that we want to adhere to, what are some of the ways that organizations can think about implementing good AI, uh, good trustworthy AI practices. Um, and this, this like, like I said, it's sort of sector agnostic, it's horizontal. 
um, because we can't speak to all the details that are in the sector and it's going to be very hard to read about, you know, if you had to address every single requirement that's in the sector um, in, in the document, right, for all sectors. Um, so what then is useful for us is having that baseline document allow other sectors to be able to refer to where, where are the, what is the thinking around what needs to be put in place. And then they can then build their requirements on top of that. So one example is what we have in, from the Ministry of Health. Um, they've also put up uh, AI guidelines for um, um, healthcare devices and um, services. Um, and that's one, and they've, they've referred to some of the work that we've done. Um, we've given them feedback as well. And that gives, us, gives them that, that ability then to provide some detailed um, recommendations or guidance for their sector without having to, um, I suppose, um, move too far from what is the general standard that's acceptable in Singapore. Um, so it's very consistent, um, but yet allow some flexibility um, across sectors or within sectors. Yeah, which is, which is something that I think we need to see more of, right? We, we, can, we have to recognize that AI's impact can be very different depending on the system or the industry that is operating. Yeah, and that's something that um, it's not just healthcare, um, increasingly, a few other sectors are also um, referring to um, the Model S government framework as a reference, right, as a baseline, and then they're building their own as well. Um, but I think what was paramount to us was that it has to be consistent, right? Um, we can provide additional details and all that, but let's all be consistent so that we do not require um, um, companies who may be, you know, operating in different sectors to have to meet different levels of uh, standards. Yeah. So in terms of opportunities and challenges, you know, it's something that we have highlighted in our research and we were here discussing this before recording and we know, you know, Singapore is a, you know, a small nation compared to all other countries in this journey, I suppose, but it, it still finds uh, quite challenging, for example, to bring AI and specifically the message around trustworthy AI, the principles, the frameworks into small companies that currently have small resources to keep up with this evolving industry, right? Can you speak to this and what, what do you think, um, you know, Singapore is looking to do to, to address this problem? So it is indeed a challenge, um, probably not only in Singapore, but in many parts of the world as well. Small companies that do not have, I suppose, sufficient data or even the internal capabilities to be able to build AI models, implement AI systems, and so on. How do they uh, do they benefit, uh, you know, from the efficiencies that I say that AI can bring? Um, so this is a question that we thought about, um, and and it's not so straightforward. I think one of the things we are considering is how do we embed AI into these solutions that um, companies are already using on a day-to-day basis. I'm sitting in a cafe today, and they have a financial system. They have a menu and so on. So are there ways in, in which we can incorporate, let's say, recommendation engines um, into, you know, when I'm making my order so that they'll know what else to recommend me based on the choices that I have. And this then allows the, the little FMD outlet to be able to, or cafe to be able to um, upsell, right, or cross-sell um, products. Um, but how do we do that, right? So, um, so we have um, programs for SMEs and what we, want, what we need to do then is work with these products, right, that are being built for SMEs. To, um, to, in, to inject some elements of AI into this. And so we have to work very closely with technology service providers or product developers um, to be able to build this. And that's something that we're starting to think about. 
Yeah. And in terms of, and I think that also relates to, I suppose, my next question, which goes around how do we build more awareness in terms of preparing consumers as well as, um, as well as, you know, the IT professionals that are actually, you know, working in AI or, or planning to start working in AI to, to be more aware of the, what AI is as well as its implications, right? Yeah, so um, it's, it's important for us to build um, consumer awareness because with awareness, then you can lead to trust. If many consumers uh, think the AI is all about Skynet and, you know, killer robots, then it's going to be a problem, right? Um, so we, we don't want it to be sensationalized like that. Um, so we have, um, for example, we have little, um, um, I suppose, video clips and information that we've made available to consumers because you cannot make it too, too complicated for them to understand. Um, AI Singapore actually puts out um, AI for everyone kind of uh, initiatives where they share what is AI, just give consumers or students a better understanding of what is AI and then injected into this then would be elements of what is trustworthy AI. How do you know, you know what, are the cons what are the issues that you think about with regards to um, understanding um, the, the problems or risks that AI might bring? But keeping it very simple um, and easy to understand in bite-sized uh, pieces. So that's important. As for the... IT professionals, I think it's important also because they're working in this field to understand more deeply um, what are the issues and the risks um, and also the build capability around AI governance. If you want organizations to be able to implement good AI governance practices, right, and measures, then they, you need to have people to be able to do that. Um, so what we have done is we've worked with the Singapore Computer Society um, to develop a, a, a course um, that leads to a, a kind of certification um, that uh, allows IT professors, uh, sorry, IT professionals to be able to sign up for and then go through this course. And at the end, they, they have a certification to demonstrate their level of competency. Um, and this is done with Singapore Computer Society, the Nyan Technological University. Um, they've got a couple of runs already completed. And it's a very good way to build uh, capability in the industry uh, at this stage. Um, so they take a lot of the um, content, not only from um, the model governance framework, but also some of the knowledge that they've pulled together from the industry. Um, and embedded this in the course. Yeah, I think this is a very powerful combination, right? Because to avoid when we look back at some of the use cases that we have across the road when we have AI going wrong, many of these problems could have been avoided with we have, you know, that I think that when we, we're going with human centricity, but we have that person that is prepared to, to understand AI as well as mitigate the risks, right? And having that person can can really help to to push the industry forward exactly so um i think that you know our largest focus um in this report has been around collaboration and so you know as mentioned the, the second aim of this study is to identify areas of convergence that could be you know potential areas for collaboration there. And in the report, we proposed this framework called Tired Approach for AI International Collaboration, T-A-F-I-C. Any, um, you know, and where we have any specific observations where countries can advance regional or, or international collaboration there. And I wanted to, you know, this is probably where we're going to spend most of our time. I wanted to, I think, highlight with you at least three of our recommendations there. And one goes to, you know, in the effect of inter being able to integrate trustworthy AI 
in, in digital and multilateral trade agreements in the region. So we know there's existing bilateral agreements already that support shared policies of data flow with you know, specific attention given to AI, um, you know, such as the agreement between Singapore and Australia, the digital agreement there. Mm -hmm. And you know, these are all, I think, points that we have previously discussed you know, as part of the research, part of the roundtable with other leaders in the region. And, you know, one of the things that we are, you know, looking at is, is the possibility of how can we expand on these existing agreements to create room for, for more, um, you know, um, concrete conversations about how trust and ethics can flow in the region. So can you maybe speak to this? I think the, what the agreements do is um, set forth at least an understanding, an alignment of understanding of what's important to both countries, right? And typically, let's say with Australia, for example, uh, we agree that trustworthy AI is important. We must work together um, to, to further that um, between our, and, uh, within and between our countries. Um, and then what is the form of the work together, right? Um, and it can be in, in the... In the best, well, in, in future, let's say if there's regulation, then one way is to have some kind of mutual recognition of each other's legislation or even certification processes. Um, but we are quite far away from that because we are not, we are not even at a, at a certification of uh, AI systems kind of level, unlike uh, what we have with some of the data protection um, um, processes, right? So, so what can we do together? So today, um, there are a few parts. So one is agreeing on working on projects together so that we can better understand each other's um, policies and frameworks, bringing our industry along to some of these projects so that the industry can then be able to verify, you know, um, whether the alignment makes sense. Um, it is, I'm not talking about 100% harmonization, but at least you sort of agree that the requirements are, the expectations is roughly the same. Um, so that's one kind of um, work that we can do. Um, of course, there's a lot of mutual sharing, as I already mentioned. Um, but perhaps extending this mutual sharing um, between countries to more, con more countries, um, having more um, sessions doesn't have to be um, very formal, but roundtable sessions where you can bring, you know, um, representatives from different countries in the region together, um, as well as industry um, participants um, to a roundtable to discuss the issues so that you can level up understanding, um, level up perhaps, uh, again, um, consistency in looking at um, various issues. Um, and that will perhaps help us lead to eventually um, um, more convergence and harmonization. Or maybe in, in our parlance, actually, we want to call it interoperability. So it may not be completely harmonized, but we can interoperate in, in ways such as having common terminology, having um, um, maybe even common standards in terms of expectations and certain things. But whether you require an organization to meet these standards can be different, but at least it's consistent from... Uh, from a, from a broad requirements perspective as well as, like I said, terminology perspective. Yeah. So these are things that we can do together. Um, it's, it's certainly a lot of work. Um, yeah. But I think, uh, <laughs> I think um, the conversations that we've had, the digital economy agreements that we've signed uh, are, are a fantastic step forward. Um, and, and it's just how, how do we take this further along uh, as we, as we, build up our internal um, thinking around um, AI governance. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you just touched on, you know, the, the, one of the next points I was going to cover and we've 
discussed this before as well around, uh, you know, we, we know that, you know, to, to get to a trade agreement or a bilateral agreement level, it takes a lot of time, a lot of bureaucracy. It's, it's a lot, you know, a lot more processes involving, involved in getting governments to agree on, on, on these things, which, you know, is a very complex issue. Uh, but having those informal tools that we can rely on in terms of building that collaboration in the region could be a way for us to, to, to strengthen um, you know, our own capability and our own, you know, each uh, AI strategy. Like you said, I think that countries do come together when it's something that it's important for, for, for both of them, for all of them. And I think that, the, you know, in particular, we can all agree. And I think we've seen this with the research and our past conversations that, you know, most leaders are looking up to to AI with what the technology can do for, for its own country, as well as how to mitigate, right, those implications, you know, in terms of preparing people, the population for how the technology is going to, you know, be built. Exactly. Um, like I said, the digital economy agreements or those formal trade agreements are, are as a signal of common interest. Because in it, we're right, we, we all agree that, you know, AI is important and that um, we must then also address some of the, the risks or, um, or work together to um, encourage more responsible implementation of AI and so on. And then, and that's a start. And in it, we'll, we'll usually then exchange some, um, um, we'll, we'll put in some requirements for knowledge exchange and to, then depending on the partner, then what do we get into um, in, le- in some level of detail. Um, but that's, that's really... I think uh, a sort of a baseline and we can definitely do more uh, because then we can, we can get into a lot more details if we can do more together and we can also bring more um, partners into the fold uh, when we do that. Yeah. Yeah. And in terms of one of the other recommendations we're looking at is in terms of amplifying, you know, comprehensive information around education, communications, by promoting campaigns that focus on trustworthy AI, right? So, and I think, you know, Singapore has already many programs that will go to that, such as Skills Future that are preparing people for, for the impact of the technology, giving them an opportunity to be upskill and retrain. Um, can you speak to this need in a specific and other programs or things that the government is thinking about? Um. Perhaps maybe I'll just give an example of something that we've done um, last year, year before last, um, where we published a guide called the um, um, Job Redesign um, in the Age of AI. Because we wanted to have employers start thinking about um, the fact that AI will impact their employees, right? But it doesn't mean that you want to then lay off people and um, remove certain jobs. Um, it means that you have to think about how then not, not every job um, completely can be replaced by AI. Actually, what we, what we recommended is look at task level design. What are the tasks that can be um, replaced by an AI system? Um, for example, an automation of a certain particular process. Mm, but uh, but there, you also may require a human being or an individual um, to manage the other tasks. So the guide actually recommends breaking down a job with a task identify what tasks can be replaced, what tasks can be augmented, and what tasks will still be required to be 100% handled by a human being. And from there, then redesign the jobs around the human 
um, and then start recommending or looking at ways where you can communicate this to your employees in which you can um, look at training and reskilling um, programs for employees. And that's where, you know, um, schemes like uh, SkillsFuture will be relevant because they provides, you know, ways in which you can upskill, reskill um, individuals. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think this in the specific is probably there, there's some, you know, specific initiatives that, that there's a lot of other countries in the region looking up to. I think Singapore has been, you know, one of the first countries to sort of launch these programs, you know, specifically in thinking about retraining people, right? Which is um, something that we naturally, we're naturally evolving to that as the technology expands. Yeah, I think it's important if you want to think ahead to what the economy will look like in the future. Um, it's not going to be the same as today. And then uh, people need to be ready for that. Um, and that's why SkillsFuture is very important because it, it provides the impetus for individuals to start thinking about what they need to do um, to prepare themselves for the future. That's yeah. why it's called SkillsFuture. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, just going back to what we were discussing before around you know, informal ways of uh, building collaboration there with other countries in the region. Um, I, you know, we know that there's a few different countries working or thinking of building centers of excellence, right? Dedicated to not only AI, but the specific, you know, trustworthy principles there and, and how to, to bring that to, to light. One way that we were talking about before was how can we, how can we build these centers to collaborate with each other? Because that is one way of you know, building that collaboration, at least on a more education part of it, right? And then do you, do you see the, these centers as well operating as a way to also bring practice into the industry? Because I think that, you know, that's, of course, one of the challenges that we have is that we have the frameworks. How do we implement them, right? Yeah, so what the centers, so, so there are two questions here, right? The first one is how do the centers work together, right? Across regions, across countries. Then two is can the centers then um, sort of propagate some of these practices down into the industry? Um, so the first question, I think definitely they can work together. Uh, a lot of the centers actually are, uh, are set up within uh, uh, research um, organizations or within an academic kind of uh, environment. And these um, organizations and institutions have had a long history of working and partnering um, across countries because it's about bringing together the right capabilities um, to address a certain problem in the study, investigate, and um, solve a certain issue, right? Uh, so I, we can rely on that kind of um, current um, uh, mode of doing collaboration. Uh, but I think if you want to, you know, get it, give it a little kick, right? Then, um, then it's a matter of, identifying specific centers. So for example, um, we talked about the trade agreements earlier. We can go to that level of detail to say, actually center A can work with center B, you know, in this regard, right? And then, that, and then, that, and then you know, this will be funded in this way and all that. It may not necessarily be in the trade agreement. It may be through an MOU that's then defined on, on top of the trade agreement. Um, so that's something that we can do um, that we've explored before. Um, I wouldn't say to how much we've been able to achieve in that regard, uh, but, it, but, it's, uh, but it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a possibility, right? To see how we can drive more collaboration. Um, there's a G2G level, there's the research to research organization or center to center level. And then of course, there's the business to business level, right? 
Um, and that's then to your second question, how do we propagate these practices? Um, it's really a lot of, like you say, we have to raise the awareness. That's the We have to run a lot of campaigns. We have to, we have to beat the drum a little bit loudly, right? Um, but at the same time, I think it's really about making sure that uh, people know where to go when they want to, when they have these questions. Um, so podcasts like this are very helpful because then you start, you know, if they've not heard of what Singapore has done, then they can be, they'll be able to then look us up and then come to us if they have, you know, specific questions and we can put them together with partners. Um, I think, I think the, 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 the international discourse around trustworthy AI has, has increased quite a little bit in the last few years. Companies who are in this space know that they have to look to this. Um, and if they're thinking ahead, they look at, look at what Europe is doing, right? What China has already done with, let's say, the, the algorithmic accountability for recommendation engines, for example, in international internet service providers, they will start thinking about how then do they want to engage the potential regulator in of the future, right? Um, early um, and start looking at some of these practices because some of these practices eventually, um, if legislation is to be implemented, um, will then, you know, go into um, the requirements. Yeah. So, yeah, so there are various ways in which you can... Um, we can try and get industry to be excited about this, uh, but it's but it's not it's not the uh, it's not the most straightforward way where it, because they have to be internally motivated at this point in time. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we, you know, I think we know so far that you know Singapore has demonstrated that it has a, a wealth of resources and in terms of being able to support industry co compliance and you know we've we've talked a you know you you've mentioned about this before in how this process it's probably been over two years now since the first guidelines have been launched in terms mm -hmm. of preparing industry for you know what we can expect uh, the, the upcoming possibility of regulations and changes in the industry right and so I think that's probably a good, um, you know, as a, a final segment of the podcast, it's probably a good place for us to end. What, where do you think, you know, what do you think it's next for, for Trustforce AI in, in Singapore and in the region? And, and obviously how, you know, in, in terms of that conversation around regulations and what's next for the industry? Um, so specifically in Singapore, um, what we're doing now is we're we building a, um, an AI governance testing um, toolkit and framework. Um, the objective really is to allow organizations to be able to demonstrate um, and be transparent about how the AI system has um, adhered to certain principles. So we identify a set of 11 principles across four buckets of, um, four groups well, that can be categorized into four groups. So one the first group is uh, whether, the, the, whether you know what the AI system is doing. You can, so where your explainability requirements are in there, accuracy and so that are in there. Whether the system is safe, right? Um, so this is where we put uh, all the security requirements, um, robustness and so on. Um, and then whether the system is fair, right? So the requirement for, uh, for the system not to be biased um, and some of the data governance um, kind of requirements are in there as well. And then finally, um, who is accountable, you know, and, and who's managing the risk um, within um, organizations with regards to the AI implementation. So these are four buckets and, uh, and across each of across the 11 principles that we have, we will have some um, process checks that we have identified in quite level of detail that organizations can do to verify if they have met these requirements. And we also have, we're also developing toolkits, testing toolkits so that we can objectively and quantifiably verify, right? Um, the output of the AI system with regards to things like robustness, bias and so on. Um, we are, 
the framework we do, we're process is better testing the framework with uh, with uh, companies with regards to toolkits as well. We started with a few uh, open source toolkits and we put together um, some ways in which uh, we can we can make it easier to look at the reports. Um, but in the longer run, right, then this has to evolve into in two ways, right? Number one, uh, more toolkits. Oh, sorry, more testing testing tools. That's one. And then two, um, working together with companies to define the standards that's acceptable. Because the requirements will say you have to be accurate, but what do you mean by accurate, right? Um, in terms of it's ninety percent um, consistency in results, uh, accuracy, right? Or um, bias, bias, and what do you mean by bias? How do you measure that? What are the um, sensitive attributes, for example, that you look out for across these cases? So these are things that we have to work on, but the testing framework is to start. And the reason why we started with this is because you have the model algorithm framework, which gives guidance. The testing framework, you just have to verify. And at some point, right, um, beyond verification and maybe certification, when you go into assurance and audit aspect of it, then you can start looking at regulation. Because then companies will have the capabilities to be able to demonstrate compliance. And governments will have, or regulators will have the capabilities to enforce. But at this stage, it's a little bit hard to talk about regulation when you don't have these. Uh, these capabilities so that's yeah. the roadmap that we have sort of scaled up ourselves yeah yeah i think it's a natural transition right that we need to see before really jumping straight into regulations so i think this is a good place for us to wrap up this conversation and um you know and we will have our next podcast where we're going to discuss um, we're diving into South Korea. And again, do not forget to download the report. The link will be in our description here as part of the podcast. We will also have links to, you know, many of the initiatives that Wonsi and I have discussed here today and about what Singapore has been doing to advance trust um, in AI. Wonsi, thank you for your wonderful participation in today's podcast and for the contribution to the report. Again, I'm Kelly Forbes, Director of the Institute, and I'll see you on the next one. Thanks, Kelly.